Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. What a week. Holy cow. From uh, Thursday till now, it's just been one big giant blur for me. Uh, but it's been a good blur. We had uh, Thursday started off with Bible release time with, I think we had 110 kids from Mountain View in here Thursday, teaching them about the Bible, having a good old time. And then it was off to South Carolina. And I'll just tell you what, over the past 72 hours alone, I've seen God do so many incredible things. Um, just when you think you got God figured out, He does something crazy. You, I mean, you can't, you can't, can't control Him, man. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with Him. But I love the Lord, and He's been awfully good to us, church. He really has. This morning, we're going to continue our study of Nehemiah, and... We've titled this series, Nehemiah, Rebuilding and Reviving. And to this point, most of it's been about rebuilding. And we've watched God work through the first seven chapters of Nehemiah as they rebuild the city walls and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And now we come to the revival portion of the book. I thought people would get excited when we started talking about revival. You know? <laughs> revival is something that we pray for. Every time you go to a prayer meeting, people say, hey, let's pray for revival. Let's pray for another great awakening in our nation. And we, we seek it. We long for it. We want revival. And so this morning, we're going to begin talking about the keys to revival. And this will actually carry us through into next week as well because this covers two chapters of the same lessons, similar lessons, keys to revival. You know, if you look, you sit down and you look at the history of our nation, just our nation, I'm not talking about the world, just the past 300 years or so of history in the United States, there have been waves of revivals across America over the years. The first, what they call the first great awakening in America began in the early to mid-1700s, even before our nation was a nation, just a bunch of colonies and people scattered here and there. But the first great awakening was marked by very powerful preaching. These guys began to preach hellfire and brimstone, man. People like Jonathan Edwards and uh, George Whitfield, and it was during this time that revival spread throughout those original colonies up and down the east coast of the United States. And as these powerful preachers began to preach salvation through Christ and people began to see their need, many, many, many people began to come to Christ during this period. Then, years later, in the next century, came the second Great Awakening historians call it. And it took place in the early to mid-1800s, right before the Civil War. And this one spread from the colonies across here and into the Midwest as people pushed westward across the country. God went with them. Amen? And the frontier churches, such as the Methodist and the Baptist, 
they were popping up all over every little town and every little settlement. And, and people believed that it was during this time that millions of people came to Christ during the early part of the 1800s. Then the beginning of the 1900s, a third great awakening took place. And there were some pastors that began to push their congregations. This, think of, remember, this is after the Civil War, during the beginning of the Industrial Age. Pastors began to realize that the church was kind of going astray. And they began to push their people to live holy lives. This gave rise to the movement that we still see today, the holiness movement. But it began as a, an encouragement for people to actually live up to what the Bible says. And during that time, of course, many, many people came to the Lord. There was a, a revival that actually broke out here in the Appalachian Mountains during that time. You don't hear a lot about it because a bigger revival, because there were more people out there, broke loose on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. Then comes the 60s and the 70s. And believe it or not, there was a great revival period during the 60s and 70s of the last century. Actually, many of our modern church buildings were built during that period of time, the late 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, during this period, you had many great evangelical leaders come to prominence like Martin Luther King Jr., the late great Billy Graham, and of course, many, many more people came to Christ during this period. It was during this period that the more conservative denominations such as our own began to really grow as they returned to what God's Word says. And there was a, after the World War II, there was a great secularization of the United States and pastors during the 60s and 70s began to push against this and say, hey folks, let's return to what the Bible actually says. And it was those churches that grew during this period. Some years ago, revival hit this area from what I've been told, listening to some of the stories. And I reckon it was during this time that some of you were saved and came to Christ. People sitting in this room were saved during this revival that hit Leslie County. Over the past few years, it seems like we've had our own little revival here at Rock House Baptist Church. Lots of people coming to Christ now over the past two or three years, well over 100 people baptized right here. And it's just incredible to watch God move. Now we wonder, I give you all of that history for a reason. We wonder why does this happen at some times, but not at others? Why are there these outpourings of God or outpourings of the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to label it here but not there why then but not now and we've got to understand it's not that God doesn't want to you hear what I'm saying right it's not that God doesn't want revival God's all about revival God's all about saving people but the reason it doesn't happen is because we the people don't always allow God to do what God wants to do that's the hard lesson for today. So we're going to talk about keys to revival. Because I'll be honest with you, church. If we stop doing the things that has gotten us where we are, then revival stops. If we stop doing the things that allowed people to come to Christ in great numbers, then we're going to stop seeing people come to Christ in great numbers. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. We'll look at the first five keys to revival. Nehemiah 8 verse 1 begins and says this. It says, all the people. Who? 
All the people came together as what? One. All the people came together as one. Have you heard this message before? All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Wait a minute. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the what? The book. Go get the book. All the people came together as one said, Ezra, get the book. You see where I'm going with this. Which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So the very first thing we see is that all the people... All the people, not this faction, not that faction, all the people, Lottie Dottie, everybody came together as one. One of the first key to revival is unity. Unity. There's something powerful about the people of God coming together in unity, in one mind, in one accord. And when this happens, church, there's very little that God cannot accomplish through them when they come together. It's how Jesus said the world will know that you belong to me when you love one another, when you're one. And unity like this requires, oh man, it's tough. It requires some selflessness. It requires some humility. It requires for us to set aside our selfish ambitions, set aside our selfish desires, set our, <laughs> set our egos to the side, set our agendas to the side, and come together under the common banner of the Lord Jesus Christ for His namesake and His glory as one body. God said, even if there's two or three gathered together in their own name, no, no, if two or three even are gathered together in my name, I will be there in their midst. There's something powerful about God's people uniting together. If we want to see God move, if we want to see revival in our churches, if we want to see revival in our families, in our own hearts, and even our nation, then we must come together as one in the Lord. That means black and white. That means men and women. That means young and old. That means Republicans and Democrats all united together for the glory of Jesus Christ. It takes us to the second part of that verse. It says, when God's people came together, they said, Ezra, go get the book. Go get the book of the law. And that's the second key. We've got to return to the book. We have to return to God's word. If we want a revival, we have to return to the authority of this book. All throughout history, one of the marks of every great revival, every great movement when God has just done incredible things through the church, there was a faithful return to the Word of God, a renewal, a rededication to reading God's Word. How, so what do we do? How do we get back to this? Well, first you need to go home and you need to dust off that dusty old Bible that's sitting on the shelf. You need to pull it out and you need to start reading it we got to get back and begin to digest it. We need to rely on God's Word just like we would rely on food. It's nourishment for our souls. we got to study it. we got to begin to trust it again and, and believe what it actually says. We, somebody said, Robbie Gallaty, a pastor in Tennessee, said, you got to get into the Word until the Word gets into you. And what that means is you get into the Word until the Word begins to change your heart. It begins to change your mind. It begins to change your thoughts. It begins to affect the way that you act. And as Paul said, it renews your mind. It means that we preachers have to prioritize preaching God's Word. Even when it makes people uncomfortable. 
I saw a meme this week says if the, if the preacher or the Bible's making you uncomfortable, your feet may be in the wrong place. It means that we as Christians have to stand up for the truth and stand up for the principles of God's Word. It means if there's sin, we call it sin. We call it for what the Bible says that it is. It, yes, it means that we go back and we strive to live holy lives that are pleasing to God. The Bible says there's a certain way we're supposed to live. And we preachers have to start talking about that again. It means that we don't shy away from something. If the, if the whole world says this is okay, but the Word of God says differently, we trust what God's Word says. For example, if the Bible says that God created them male and female, we believe it. If, we, if the Bible says that is a sacred bond between a man and a woman, we believe it. If it says that life is precious from the womb to the tomb, we believe it and we fight for it because the book says it's true. Whatever the book says, it's true. This is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God. And we've got to return to it. Well, that gets us through the first verse this morning. <laughs> Look at verse 2. It says, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. All the people listened attentively to the book. We say we love God's word, don't we? What if we started church at daybreak next week and stood up here until noon reading the Bible? How many be here? I ain't going to do that. But I'm just saying, what if? And we say we love it. How many would actually come? That takes us to the third key, and that's true worship. I want you to notice, at this point in this scene that we're talking about in Nehemiah, there wasn't any singing yet. There was no screens. There was no projectors. There were no nice, comfortable seats to sit in from daybreak till noon. There's no air conditioning. Come on. There's just Ezra, this group of men standing before the people, reading the Word of God. And all the people were there. They had a packed square. And look what happens. Verse, skip down to verse 6. It says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people, who? All the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen and Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We ain't had a church service like that in a while, have we? Look, what, look at the scene. The leader read the word. Then he worshipped the Lord. And the people responded in worship. And let me just say this. It was expressive worship. Now, I've been Baptist since I was in my mother's womb. And I can't tell you how many times that I've heard and even believed we're Baptists and we worship the way we want to worship. And most of the time, that's very reverently and quiet. And listen, there is a time, biblically speaking, for just that. There's a time that you need to be still 
and know that God is God. But you look at the whole of Scripture, and this is, I'm telling you this out of lessons I've learned personally in studying the Word. You look at the whole of Scripture, more often than not, worship throughout the Bible is very, very expressive. Worship throughout the Bible is very lively. <laughs> I'll just say that. And I think Christians, if we call ourselves Christians and we're going to return to the book, then that needs to even affect our worship. I think we need to worship scripturally and biblically, that we need to worship in spirit and in truth. So what I'm saying is if you feel like you should raise your hands and you should feel free, especially around other Christians, to raise your hands. If you feel like you need to shout or say amen, or as these folks did, amen and amen, you should feel free enough to do that. Here the people bowed down to God. They all got down right on their face in worship. Isn't that beautiful? They just bowed down and worshiped the Lord. So I'm telling you, our God loves to be worshiped. And however you need to do that, there's a, if you can think of worshiping God a certain way, there's probably that way in Scripture. God really loves worship. The book of Revelation says that there are these angelic beings gathered around God night and day and day and night, and all they do is cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And at times they bow down before God and say, Amen. God loves worship. And true and proper biblical worship means that we've got to selflessly worship God. It's Christ-exalting worship. And it's a key for revival. If you want to come into God's presence, I'm, I'm trying to move on, but I, gotta just, I just got to hit this. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. And if you want to come into God's presence, worship Him. Don't matter how you feel. No matter how bad a day you've had, if you need God in your life, begin to worship Him. Begin to praise Him because God loves to be worshipped. Alright. The next thing that we see after worship is a brokenness over sin. I told you this was going to be a fun sermon. Brokenness over sin. So the Levites began to teach the people what the word means. Ezra reads it, they began to teach it and show the people exactly how this applies to their life. They hear the law read, and look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This, is the, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Get this. For all the people, who? All the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. <laughs> they hear it. They're taught what it means. They begin to understand it and the people are broken. As a whole, they are, they're broken. They, they hear the holy standards of God and they begin to cry. Why? Because they realize how utterly sinful they are as a people. They realize how far off of God's standard. And that's what the law teaches us is how holy God's standards are. And they realize, whoa, 
I can't live up to this. I have failed God so many times, time and time again. And folks, one of the true marks of the great revivals throughout history is a brokenness over sin. We return to God's Word. And when you get into this book, you begin to see yourself for who you really are. You begin to see that, man, you are a sinner among sinners. And there ain't no hope for you. Until you get to the back part of the book and you begin to read some of these red letters and you realize that God sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven of all of those things there. That wasn't in the notes. <laughs> but when you get into the Word, as the people return to the Word, you realize that you're sinful, and you're broken because of that sin. You realize that you need to repent from some things. There's some things you need to let go. And it's honestly, this is not something that we outgrow as Christians. Matter of fact, I think as you grow closer to God over time, the Holy Spirit should keep revealing more things that in your life that's ungodly and you need to get rid of in order to be more Christ-like. And then you begin to understand that love of God like we sang about this morning. It chased you down. <laughs> and He allowed His Son to bleed and die for you. All of that leads to repentance. There will be no revival without repentance. And it takes us to this next thing. Final thing. I didn't think I'd get through all these, to be honest with you. The final key to revival is unyielding obedience. The people learn. It's a really interesting story. You get down to the bottom of this chapter. The people learn through hearing the law of God. There's some things that they haven't been doing that they're supposed to be doing in order to live up to God's standard. The law said that they were supposed to live in temporary shelters. So you think about going out in the woods and building a fort. That's what I pictured in this picture. They hadn't been doing this. So during this particular festival, they were supposed to gather some branches and build a little hut to live in during this festival. How many people would be willing to do that? I said, all right, folks, you got to go home. you got to build you a teepee. The Bible says so. They, they returned to the Word. And because the book said it, they said, you know what? We've got to do it. We've got to be obedient. Look what happens. Verse 16, all the way down to the bottom. So, so the people went out. And they brought back some branches. <laughs> and they built themselves temporary shelters on the roofs. They had flat roofs, by the way. In their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. Doesn't that sound weird? It had to sound weird to some of them, too. It didn't make sense. God, we've got a perfectly good house. Why do you want us to live in this stick hut for the duration of this festival? didn't matter. The book said do it. And so they did it. And because of that, Nehemiah says that their joy was great. Some of y'all thinking, I don't know about how joyful I am. My wife wouldn't find a lot of joy in that, living in a stick hut. But when you obey the Lord, your joy begins to overflow. Even when it don't make sense to the people around you. 
even when it don't make sense to you. God honors a sacrifice of obedience. And He gives you peace. He gives you joy. And if your joy is running low this morning, I would just say maybe your obedience is running low. Maybe you need to be more obedient. And that's kind of the, the conclusion of this message. You put all this together, maybe you need to be more obedient in your worship. Maybe you need to be more obedient in your commitment to the Word of God. You know, when you study the Word of God, sometimes we bring these thoughts and these uh, even prejudices and, and, and positions, and when we get into the Word, and it challenges you. And I know over the course of my life, I've had to change my thoughts on some things because the book said something different. Maybe you need to be obedient this morning to baptism. I'll put my shorts back on if that's you. The book says we're supposed to do it. The Lord said we're supposed to do it. Maybe you need to be obedient in serving the Lord. Maybe you've been sitting back and soaking it up and it's time to get engaged and, and find your place that you can serve through the local church. Whatever it is the Lord's dealing with you, I just want you to, to pray about that this morning. Maybe you need revival. And I'm not talking about a big church service. I'm talking about revival right here in your heart. Maybe over the course of time you've lost touch with the Lord and you feel like, God, if I could just go back to that point, if I could just go back to that time when I, I felt you in my life, I, I felt like we were close, I was walking with you. As David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you need to be obedient. Maybe you've looked at the book and the book showed you what you are and you need to be saved this morning. If that's you, why don't you come this morning? Let's stand together. If there's a decision that you need to make, I want to invite you to come this morning and make that decision. Pray about it. If there's not, if you are a perfect Christian, perfect person here this morning, I want you to pray for revival. Not just in our church, but in the hearts of our people because that's where revival is going to start. It's not going to start out here in the highways and the byways. Revival starts in the heart of God's people when we turn to His Word and we repent ourselves. Whatever the Lord's dealing with you this morning, why don't you come as we sing? Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.